and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast. For ladies who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. Yeah, that's for sure. Julia, how are you? It's Friday. I'm, hi, Lauren. <laughs> I'm Julia. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> We're your hosts, everybody. Yep. I'm Julia. And I'm Lauren. Sorry. I was just going right into just idle chit chat. I apologize. My name is great. How about you? Oh, it was fine. It was quick. Uh, my office smelled again, um, but, but I ate my weight in candy, and then I had a meeting with my boss. What so, could be better? A few. Oh. A few things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw today the internet was in an uproar Ooh. over the fact that they're taking away Coke Zero. What? There's, they are phasing out Coke Zero. They announced it this week. In August, you will no longer be able to buy Coke Zero. Are they going to pull it off the shelves? Like, are they going to be like, no more for you? It sounds like they're just going to cease restocking it. Okay. So this gives people time to stockpile the Coke Zero that they love so much before the new product rolls out called Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. So so it's the same thing, but just with the word sugar added. Uh, it's supposed... It's Probably a different formulation. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Did, have you ever known anyone to drink Coke Zero? Have you ever heard anyone at a restaurant be like, not hey. at a restaurant, but in their in their own homes? I know plenty of people really? that are really really love into Coke, Coke Zero. Zero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, a Paul, apparently, internet people also really into Coke Zero. Um, they're already going through the five stages of grief, which, <laughs> as, as we've, we've established, are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So <laughs> keep that in mind, um, everyone. People are stockpiling Coke what? Zero now. Um, and you know what this reminds me of, Lauren? What's that, Julia? Prohibition. Stop. So that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking to you about Prohibition. Tell me more about Prohibition, Joel. So that was that period from 1920 to 1933 where nobody in America was able to legally manufacture or sell alcohol. But they were, was it legal to consume it? It it was not illegal to consume it, but you needed to acquire some somehow, didn't you? That is true. Sure did. Oh my goodness. Um, Again, for our non-American listeners out there, I know there's a lot of you. Uh, <laughs> Prohibition in America was a 13-year period where, um, again, alcohol forbidden. Um, and I'll tell you why they thought it was a good idea at the time. So um, the temperance movement started mm. in the 19th century in America in about the 1820s. So temperance was really more about moderation, not complete abstinence from alcohol. So Interesting. a lot of people... Uh, assume that temperance is you know completely no alcohol but it that that wasn't the case so um in 1830 americans consumed 1.7 bottles of hard liquor per week on average what is is, that per person yeah per person what so that's three times the amount of what we drink today so (laughs) oh my god how did anyone survive (laughs) well you see they had a lot of open sewers (laughs) And other, yeah, uh, lots of diseases oh to contend with that water wasn't really. Oh, that's a true. Water wasn't at the time. Potable, um, yeah. But yeah, a lot of a lot of people drank ale and and wine and fortified liquors instead of you know water. So, yep, one in one point seven bottles of hard liquor a week. I I mean I can understand beer. 
like small beer, like they called it in medieval times, mm-hmm. which is just like an extremely low alcohol beer just to like consume safe liquids. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know how you get from like low alcohol ales to, to just hard straight liquor. Yep. Liquor. Enjoy. Oh my God. So, uh, around that time, the American Temperance Society formed, um, within a decade. So by 1835, they had 1.5 million members, which doesn't sound like a lot nowadays, but the total U.S. population at that time was 14.7 million people. Oh my God. So like of the 14.7 million people out there, one and a half million of them were members of the American Temperance Society. Wow. So it must've been a big problem. Big problem. Um, so there were a lot of religious groups that were big Makes into sense. the temperance movement. Um, Methodists, they really spearheaded what they called the Dry Crusade through the 1840s and 1850s. Um, around this time, the word teetotaler popped up. Okay. Uh, so teetotalers were people who supported total abstinence from alcohol. Um, and there are a couple of different stories out there with the etymology of the word. One claims that a man who had a speech impediment stuttered when saying total abstinence and turned it into total abstinence. So that's just cruel. Right. That's, yep. well, well, it's, that's the, some bitch. it's written down. Um, there is another origin story that says that there was a minister who had people sign into meetings and had those who pledged total abstinence uh, mark a letter T beside their names. And so then when he checked the list of people who attended, he marked the T total. total. Okay. So hmm, that um, sounds apocryphal. Well, I guess I you just <laughs> described the definition of apocryphal. Yep. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> uh, so the support uh, for the temperance movement lost strength during the 1860s because um, there was a lot of other stuff going on then, yeah. you you know. Um, but then by 1869, the Prohibition Party formed in America and then the Women's Christian Temperance Union, also known as the WCTU, mm. uh, formed a few years later in 1873. So one of the goals of the WCTU, um, they were really big into social reforms. Um, one of the big goals was to prevent the abuse of women and children from alcoholic husbands. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great goal. Great goal. So uh, in 1881, Kansas became the first state to outlaw alcoholic beverages in its state constitution. (laughs) Uh, There was one famous member of the WCTU who lived in Kansas. Her name was Carrie Nation. Mm. Um, So she would enter saloons and uh, protest at the patrons. She'd sing annoying songs at them. I'm just kind of picturing like someone singing like the lamb chop song at you while you're like just trying to enjoy your tankard of ale. (laughs) Because you've one been and one half farming of- for 19 yeah, like, hours straight. Sure. I don't know. Uh, so she would like personally scold the patrons in the bars. Um, and she would greet the bartenders by saying um, such such wonderful statements as, Good morning, destroyer of men's souls. <laughs> Which I can see that on a tattoo nowadays. Yeah, but destroyer for of men's uh, 1881, souls. That's, that's pretty radical. Yeah. Um, so Carrie nation claimed that she prayed for guidance and God told her that she should go in and just smash up some saloons like Joan um, of Arc. Yep, exactly. But for booze, but with booze. Exactly. So, uh, she went in with rocks or initially to throw at, um, the bottles of alcohol in the, okay. in the saloons. <laughs> um, her later, her husband joked that she should really just use a hatchet. Next she was time. married. 
She was married. Yep. God bless her. Uh, she, <laughs> her husband said she should use a hatchet next time for maximum damage, um, which she did. So uh, between 1900 and 1910, Carrie Nation was arrested 30 times for what, what she called her hatchetations. <laughs> that that's a good like that's a good like, puzzle word or a really good all girl punk band the hatchetations the hatchetations carrying the hatchetations yes. oh my gosh why is that not our band julia trademarked by Trademark. lauren and julia no one steal that <laughs> see what a righteous badass and i know we had talked about this earlier and you were like no i'm i would not do something like that like she's insane and granted she was insane i think it's God. really the hatchet that did me in like yeah the, like the you know talking at people and being annoying is one thing but yeah once you bring up a, a really sharp metal object all that's flailing around a bunch of drunk people into the mix. But think about how freeing that felt for her. Probably. Like as a woman who had to wear stays, who was probably not very attractive. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest. She was a temperance, <laughs> you know, like she saw the men in her life and in her community getting super drunk. She felt the fire of God in her. And God said, pick up that hatchet, Carrie, and go smashing. What's better than that? I'm just saying. I'm just saying not all of her ideas were bad. (laughs) Unpopular opinion. Please continue. I'm sorry. Oh, well. No. uh, It's a great observation. Um, I just want to note that she became so notorious that bars began to place signs in their establishments that said, all nations welcome except Carrie. Oh, that's good. That's cute. It's a cute little I was going to ask if Carrie Nation was an alias of hers because that's almost too good. She married a nation. Like she married her an entire husband's nation. last name oh. was Nation. Oh, yeah. Okay. What was his name? First name? David yeah. Nation. Okay, David. We'll call him Dave. Dave Ezekiel Nation. Ezekiel Nation. <laughs> it's uh, probably something old fashioned. I mean, let's Jedediah be honest. Jedediah Nation. Jedediah Nation. Probably. Uh, so that was Carrie Nation. Okay. But um, so there was a lot of hostility towards saloons and establishments mm. in places other than Kansas. Um, the hostility grew so large that the Anti-Saloon League overtook the WCTU and the Prohibition Party as the most influential advocate for prohibition in America. Mm. So straight up Anti-Saloon League. They're they're starting to run stuff. Right in the name. Um, an interesting note is that since women tended to support prohibition, these temperance groups also supported women's suffrage. So there was a little bit of like tit for tat. In there. I was going to mention that that the temperance movement kind of was the roots of the women's suffrage movement in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And we can delve into that at a later date. Ooh, I'm excited. Ooh. Um, so it, now it's 1917. Uh, the 65th Congress had overwhelming support of people who were called DRIES, mm. D-R-I-E-S. Those were re- mainly religious groups who identified saloons as politically corrupt and drinking as a personal sin. Um, then you also had the WETS, W-E-T-S, Ew. right? Um, Man, so They else. were people who disagreed that the government should define morality. So the DRIES, you had a lot of Baptists and Methodists mm-hmm. and um, that kind of... Um, form of Christianity. Sure. And then the wets, a lot of Roman Catholics. Oh man, those Roman Catholics did not want you to take away their alcohol. I mean, the blood of Christ is wine. (laughs) Right. Right. That's like taking away Jesus. Right. And also the Italians and the Germans and the Polacks, they just, I'm a Polak. It's okay for me to say that. (laughs) Uh, They just really did not want anybody to take away their alcohol. I don't blame them. So... (laughs) 
Anyway, we're drinking wine right now. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. This is an auditory podcast, but uh, <laughs> please believe us. We are drinking wine right yep. now. Uh, so, uh, with America's declaration of war against Germany in April 1917, the German Americans, who I mentioned were a big force against prohibition, mm. uh, they were totally sidelined and their protests were ignored by everybody. Sure, yeah. Because um, people were you know, pretty anti-German at that, at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so then there was a new justification for prohibition. They thought that prohibiting the production of alcoholic beverages would allow more resources, um, especially grain that would otherwise be used to make alcohol, um, could be diverted to the war effort. So interesting. They had, you know, patriotism helping our boys. Stronger than Ah. liquor patriotism. Write that down. That's another good tattoo. This is a good tattoo on my forearm. So we come to the 18th Amendment. Um, It was to prohibit the manufacture, sale, transport, import, and export of intoxicating liquors. Uh, This amendment was passed in December 1917. 36 states were needed to ratify the amendment and make it a law. And by January 1919, Wyoming became the 36th state to ratify the amendment. Damn you, Wyoming. I know, right? which was scheduled to go into effect on January 16th, 1920. So ratified in January 1919, scheduled to go into effect January 1920. So uh, a lot of upper class people had one year to essentially stockpile the rest of their lifetime supply of existing liquor, beer, and then also secret distilling equipment. Sure, yeah, because it was still legal then. And then once... Yep, you had one year. It's like the Coke Zero thing. You get a stockpile it now. While it's still legal. That was a great transition, Joel. I know. I tried. I'm a wordsmith. So hand in hand with the 18th Amendment was the Volstead Act. So this outlined the methods to enforce the 18th Amendment. Uh, The three distinct purposes of the act were, one, to prohibit intoxicating beverages. Two, to regulate the manufacture, sale, or transport of intoxicating liquor, but not the consumption. That was not part of this act. Okay. Um, And also to ensure an ample supply of alcohol and promote its use in scientific research and the development of industrial products and religious rituals. So. Okay. So the Catholics uh, could have their. Alcohol that was out there. Church wine. It was meant to be for manufacturing things, for industrial things, for Mm -hmm. medicinal uses, and for religious rites. So uh, the Volstead Act, it was drafted by the Anti-Saloon League, and the legislation was managed by Andrew Volstead, who was a representative of Minnesota in 1919. Uh, It passed the House and the Senate that summer. It was vetoed by President Woodrow Wilson, Mm. but he was overridden by the House and the Senate in October 1919. So then this went into effect on January 17th, 1920 at midnight, essentially at the same time as the 18th Amendment taking place. Um, So it did allow for the making of wine and cider at home, but not beer. So like you could feasibly like ferment your apples and Oh, and then make, make your own cider. Strong but, cider, yeah. Uh, couldn't do anything with grains. This seems very loose. Like, I had always thought that prohibition was like, no alcoholic beverages whatsoever. Forget it. You're going dry. Everybody's going dry. Like, yep. an, I, The thing that kills me is, thinking back on this, is that an entire country outlawed a beverage, like a, an entire category of beverage uh-huh. that everyone liked. Right. <laughs> And managed to do it. And that's like mind blowing to me. Like that would never happen. You've touched upon one of the reasons why prohibition was later repealed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wait a second. We like this. Damn it. Um, So like I mentioned, uh, you can make wine and cider at home, but not beer. 
doctors were allowed to prescribe medicinal alcohol, and there were three federal agencies tasked with enforcing the Volstead Act. This was the U.S. Coast Guard, the IRS, and the Department of Justice. So the three Those were the three federal agencies that had to enforce the Volstead Act. It's a, it's a good bit to know. That is a good bit to know. But I, it just seems like three very strange. <laughs> like, why the Coast Guard? The, oh, we're about to get into ooh, that. Ooh, okay, yeah. I thought of something. So uh, if you wanted alcohol, Lauren, how yeah. could you get some back then? Back then, before yep. Prohibition? No, Prohibition, in oh, effect. How uh, do you, you want alcohol? You know a guy. Yeah, you know a guy. Yeah. He's probably a bootlegger. Uh-huh. Or a rum runner. Rum runner. <laughs> so, um, bootlegging or rum running. Um, it was popularized when thousands of city dwellers would sell alcohol from flasks that they kept in their bootleg all oh. across major cities and rural areas. So that kind of the term kind of started toward the end of the 19th century, but it stayed in effect. But rum runners, that was a whole nother issue. Rum runners were people who would actually transport in a vehicle or on a boat. Oh, okay. Which is so why the Coast Guard, Coast Guard was involved. So um, rum was pretty cheap, um, but it, then it was a low profit item for the rum runners. Mm. So they moved on to smuggling things like Canadian whiskey and French mm. champagne and English gin um, to major hub cities like New York, Boston, and Chicago. Um, and the prices there ran really high. So they yeah. made a big, big profit off of it. Um, they said that some ships carried about $200,000 in contraband in a single run without getting caught. That's amazing. US Coast Guard. Um, there is a boat captain named Bill McCoy. Um, he's one of the more famous rum runners. He would go from the Bahamas to the Eastern Seaboard. Um, he was really trustworthy. He didn't water down his shipments. Oh my God. Like, real McCoy. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that. BB to the punchline. Sorry. Uh, So he didn't water down his shipments like a teenager filling a vodka bottle back Mm -hmm. up with water. Um, And he didn't lie about the contents. um, And he was he was really reputable. And so he he's one of the suggested origins for the term the real McCoy. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, Another good fact about rum running. uh, Stock car racing became popular in the 1920s and drivers ran bootleg whiskey made in Appalachia to big cities. Uh, They used smaller, faster cars to evade police and drivers modified their cars for speed and increased their cargo capacity. Mm. So eventually these drivers and some of the mechanics who worked on these types of vehicles established NASCAR in 1948. Get out of here. Are you serious? Right. So the origins of NASCAR... Start with prohibition with rum runners. Nothing in the world makes more sense than that. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing what I know about people who love NASCAR, which is the second most popular sport in America. Stop it. Are you serious? Yeah. What's the first one? Football? Football. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Really? Football? Well, NASCAR. Yeah, you at know least what? It's I'm, not like golf. Yeah, at least it's not golf, right? We just lost all of our golf listeners. <laughs> They're listening to podcasts on the greens. They're like, fuck this. this. These horrible bitches. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, golf so, guys. It's the mid-1920s. Uh, a lot of the available spirits uh, that were coming up on the market were actually made from stolen industrial alcohol. Uh, by 1926, the government required that manufacturers denature, a.k.a. poison, their industrial liquor. Uh, so industrial liquor, I mean, it probably would have smelled very strongly, yeah. but... You know, people were still drinking it, maybe watering it down to, 
you know, so that yeah, they get could a palate it. Yeah. But um, they were required to add bitter tasting compounds or add extra methyl alcohol. Um, so the argument went that if the alcohol were truly undrinkable, even the most devoted boozer would have to give it up. <laughs> Fools. So I, I read that in um, a really great book called The Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Bloom. It talks about all these different um, chemical compounds and um, how the forensic labs mm -hmm. uh, opened up in New York City in the early 20th century. That's cool. Really I do have to read that. So um, one of the major dangers at this time was homemade alcohol. So that's mm -hmm. for people who couldn't afford the real stuff at speakeasies. Um, or they were buying poisoned stock from bootleggers. So wait, the the government made the industrial, made them poison it? Made them, yes. Yeah. Did people know that? Were they like, hey, everybody, we're going to poison the industrial stuff, just so you know? Or was it like secret, secret... Like, let's see how many people have, die. I can't, I can't imagine they put some information about it out there. I think they, they thought, all right, we're really telling you guys you yeah. shouldn't be drinking this stuff. We're going to make it so that you shouldn't drink it. <laughs> and then they were like, forget you. Forget you. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> you're not my, you're not my real dad. <laughs> Government. <laughs> so, uh, this, this, uh, homemade alcohol danger or poison alcohol, but. The homemade alcohol danger. Yeah. Uh, we had CH3OH, which was wood alcohol. Mm. So that's also known as methyl alcohol, wood spirit, hydroxymethane, carbonyl, colonial spirit, or methanol. So CH3OH. Its chemical structure is pretty simple, but it's also simple to make. So it, all you need to make wood alcohol is wood okay. and heat. Um, through a process called destructive distillation, you put this wood into a closed container, heat it to 400 degrees Fahrenheit, and as the wood turns into charcoal, its natural liquids vaporize. So they collect the vapor. It can be cooled, condensed, and distilled into a mixture of methyl alcohol, acetone, and acetic acid. That doesn't sound delicious. No, it in doesn't. The least. So they distill it again. It separates out the pure methyl alcohol, which is clear and odorless. So um, technically, at this time, methyl alcohol was used as a solvent or a fuel, mm -hmm. an ingredient in dyes. Um, some countries banned its use in domestic products, but the U.S. allowed it in materials like cologne, aftershave, liniments, and some flavoring extracts. Mm -hmm. um, it was estimated that two tablespoons of methyl alcohol could kill a child. What? Yeah. So... Um, wood alcohol could be made for just a few cents a glass out of discarded wood chips, sawdust, oh or dead plants. So it was super cheap and easy to make, and but also, also deadly. Deadly. Um, it tasted like its cousin, grain alcohol, <laughs> but was... Again, super dangerous. So wood alcohol's chemistry interacts different with the human body than other alcohols. Mm -hmm. um, the CH3OH breaks down and those atoms form dangerous byproducts like formaldehyde <gasps> and formic acid. Um, so this can take up to five days to occur. So people who have drank wood alcohol might not even know anything is wrong. Um, so wood alcohol poisoning causes weakness, severe abdominal pain, blindness, because the formic acid destroys your optic nerve. Like oh not even just God. like. Oh my God. Ew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you'll, you know, go unconscious and then your heart will feel. Because of the formaldehyde and the formic acid <laughs> oh again, which you've ingested on what purpose. What have we done to ourselves? Well, luckily, 21st yeah. Amendment happens. Thank it's God. ratified on December 5th, 1933. Again, the final state to 
put that into effect was Utah, yep. as we talked about before. Um, so this 21st Amendment, all it was was just to repeal the 18th Amendment. It was just like, uh, forget that, guys. Yep, basically. Oh, okay. Yep, that's great. <laughs> Is that you, what it says? You just passed constitutional law. <gasps> uh, I'm a senator. <laughs> So, yes, you are probably junior senator from New York. As a senator. Uh, so, why was the 18th Amendment repealed? High crime rates. Yeah. Corrupt government officials. Sure. It was too difficult to police. Yeah. Hell yeah. And also, people were making their own shit and then dropping dead. Drinking of it. increased anyway. <laughs> yeah. There was lots of rep- more reported child neglect and violence against children. Oh, my God. Uh, there were hundreds of millions of dollars lost in federal tax revenue. Uh, there was an economic downturn caused by the loss of jobs at manufacturing plants and taverns. Yeah. Also, right now we are like they're in the Great Depression too. This yeah, was yeah, a little exactly. bit of a factor in that. Um, and also, there were lots of people dying from wood alcohol poisoning and oh drinking God. other products that were not fit for human consumption. So, uh, the Twenty First Amendment only constitutional amendment ratified by state conventions rather than a state legislature. Oh, interesting. So, a convention was just technically like average citizens from that state who weren't politicians. So then, okay. this way, the politicians didn't look bad to their you know constituents. constituents. It was the you know the people wanted to repeal this. Um, and then the second section of that amendment gave control of the alcohol back to each state. So this was, again, in 1933. Mississippi stayed a dry state until 1966. Are you serious? So Mississippi? No alcohol could be manufactured or brought into the state or, you know. Oh, my God. Served, till yeah. 1966. Till 1966. But I'll give you one more. Please. Kansas banned bars until 1987. What? I was alive when there were no bars no allowed bars in, in Kansas. Kansas. God, another reason never to go. <laughs> Sorry, never to go to Kansas. Don't go to Kansas, anyone. Uh, so uh, that is uh, really all the information you need to know right now oh my God. on prohibition. That's amazing. Thank you, Julia. So I was thinking about this. Here's an interesting thought experiment. If you and I lived during this time period in the 1920s, would you? like go undercover and like drink alcohol would you be like eh, whatever oh we're rich ladies in that scenario okay we already have alcohol in our yeah houses. yeah but would 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 you do it like if you were you know 30 something in 1922 and living here and making the same amount of money would you I be think like the fear of knowing that this thing could kill me that doesn't that's not giving me a a good feeling. A good feeling. See, no. I, and I thought this too, because we're rule followers. <laughs> yeah. And also, my I don't know about your mother, but my mother ingrained in me a deep, abiding fear of things that are dangerous for me, especially consumables. <laughs> like, that's poison that'll give you blindness. Don't eat it'll that. Give it's you gonna, blindness. Yeah, it'll cause breast cancer or whatever. Like, I like to think that I'm like a rebel and that I would be like a flapper. But no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would have gone to church every Sunday. I would have gotten married at 19. <laughs> I would have died in childbirth You could have made point. your own cider at home. I guess. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if, if there was a loophole, I probably would have taken advantage yeah. of it. But I don't think I would have, especially if I was a teenager. Like, I like to think I'm, a, I'm more rebellious now that I'm older. But when I was a teenager, I was just like straight and narrow. Right. Yeah. You're not... Uh, mixing your own bathtub gin no definitely not and if i knew anybody that did i would snitch no that's not true at all 
<laughs> you would contact somebody in the Coast Guard. Coast Guard. I would call my local IRS agent and I would say, excuse me, sir, I have some information for you. Please keep me anonymous. <laughs> well, speaking of information. Please. Are you ready for a quiz? I'm so ready for a quiz, Julia. Great. Here we go. We got 10 questions on potent potables. Question one. What is the oldest operating brewery in the United States? Question two. The liquors Uzo, Sambuca, and Pastis all have what distinct flavor? Question three. The three main grapes used in the production of champagne are Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, and what white grape that's pretty popular in the U.S.? Question four. What alcoholic beverage would one use to make a Boilermaker, a Saki Bomb, a Michelada, and a Black Velvet? Question five. This cocktail, made of equal parts creme de cacao, cognac, and fresh cream, is served on ice and has varying origin stories. One author from the Algonquin Roundtable claims it was named for him, while others claimed it was named for a Russian czar. Name that cocktail. Question six. Gin and grapefruit juice on the rocks is more commonly known as what cocktail? And make it speedy. Question seven. What four-ingredient cocktail made from mint leaf, bourbon, sugar syrup, and crushed ice is primarily associated with a major annual event at Churchill Downs? Question eight. We have three true or false statements on whiskey. Number one. Some Scotch distilleries use peat fires to dry malted barley, which gives Scotch whiskey a distinctive smoky flavor. Second statement, bourbon whiskey, also called bourbon, is a distilled spirit made primarily from corn. And third part, in America, the Whiskey Rebellion took place two weeks after the Boston Tea Party, and it was aimed at King George's unfair taxation practices. Question nine. A Harvey Wallbanger is a delightfully named cocktail made with vodka, Galliano, and what refreshing mixer? And question 10. A dry martini is made with six parts gin to one part what fortified wine flavored with various botanicals? And I'm going to give you a minute to think about your answers, and we'll be right back. I can't wait. On potent potables. So the first question, what is the oldest operating brewery in the U.S.? 
I'm going to go with <laughs> said cores. <laughs> no. no, I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's Yingling in oh. Pottsville, PA. Um, so it was founded in 1829 as the Eagle Brewery by an immigrant named David Gottlieb Yunglung. Mm-hmm. Uh, he anglicized his name to Yingling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the brewery changed its name to Yingling in 1873 when his son joined the company. Um, and the Eagle, which is on its logo, is, is the- still in use today from oh, the original great. name. So 1829, Yingling. Question two, the liquors Uzo, Sambuca, and Pastis all have what distinct flavor? That's anise or like licorice Ugh. taste. Oh, it's disgusting. Exactly. Like green NyQuil. Uh, yeah, green NyQuil. Mm. Question three, the three main grapes used in the production of champagne. That's Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, and what white grape? Pinot Grigio. <laughs> okay. It Sorry. Is, it is Chardonnay. 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 Oh. So, um... Lauren and I have been to a sparkling winemakers dinner at this the New York Wine and Culinary Center um, every New Year's Eve for the last three years in a row, and it's every wonderful. time we've listened to the same spiel about what they use to make champagne. Yep, and so, I did not retain, retain any of that information because we had six like mostly full glasses of wine with each course with incredible. Oh, it's great! Di- you should go. Great food, uh, so good. So, uh, and again, as we know in the U.S., it is illegal to name any product champagne unless it mm-hmm. comes from the Champagne region and is produced under the appellation rules of the French Institut National de l'Origine et de la Clarité. Of course. So, of course. Uh, question four. What alcoholic beverage do you use for a boiler maker, a sake bomb, a michelada, and a black velvet? Um, I don't know. I'm going to guess vodka. Oh, it is a beer. Use beer in all these cocktails. So, uh, there's a beer and a sake bomb. A, a boiler maker is beer and whiskey. Okay. A sake bomb is sake and beer. Oh, okay, that makes you sense. You have guess. a glass of beer and then you drop you a drop sake. In. Yeah, shot you drop the sake inside. shot into okay. it. Um, a michelada is beer, lime juice, and sometimes clam juice Ugh. or other sauces and peppers. And a black velvet is actually a stout beer and champagne. It was uh, oh made for Oof. something with Queen Victoria's reign. Oh, okay. So seems not palatable, but to well, each their own. English, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question five: A cocktail made from creme de cacao, cognac, and fresh cream served on ice. I, I was going to joke and say a mudslide, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, the famous Algonquin Round Table author mudslide. Arthur mudslide. Arthur mudslide. Also famous Russians are uh, Petra. <laughs> Mudslide. Mudslide. Um, um, I'm gonna, it's a white Russian, I'm assuming. Uh, it's a Brandy Alexander. Oh, then no, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so um, Brandy Alexander, the cognac is the brandy. Um, the author who supposedly claimed that he that it was named for him was Alexander Wolcott. Mm. Um, and then Tsar Alexander II was another possibility. And then somebody threw out there that it was actually the name of the bartender was, that like was Troy what I was Alexander yeah. um, at Rector's Bar in New York City. And this was all in the early 19th century. Sorry, no, <laughs> early 20th century. Um, and, you know, you garnish it with some nutmeg. Oh, okay. Mm. So uh, question six, gin and grapefruit juice on the rocks is more commonly known as what and make it speedy. I don't know. It's a greyhound. A greyhound. A greyhound. Um, and then if you add salt to the rim, the drink becomes a salty dog. Oh, that's cute. There's a lot of like just a liquor with a juice that you should know the name of. 
for oh, trivias. Damn. Well, then I so, am. This is all I know is a fuzzy navel because that was the first cocktail that I would order at bars. But even then, I knew that it was a super embarrassing thing to order. <laughs> so I'd always make my boyfriends go and order it for me. Which is um, why I'm it's just like a having lot. a wine cooler. Yeah, it was delicious. I could drink a lot of them. And people, the bartenders would be like, especially like the nice places yeah. I would go, be like, we don't have, have peach schnapps. <laughs> so, well, it's the key else? to the vault. <laughs> it's the key to the vault. <laughs> All right. Question seven. What four ingredient cocktails made from mint leaf, bourbon, sugar syrup, and crushed ice? That is a mint julep. It is a mint julep. Um, strongly associated with Kentucky and the Kentucky Derby. Yep. Um, U.S. Senator Henry Clay introduced the drink to D.C. in the early 19th century, and it spread in popularity among the elite there. Um, it was a very upper-class cocktail for years because a consumer of it needed to have, one, access to silver cups, oh, uh, right. two, yeah. ice, and three, a trusted servant who they would let into their you know bourbon supply oh, yeah, to uh, prepare them a beverage. Uh, since 2006, Churchill Downs has also served something called an extra premium custom made mint julep what? at a cost of a thousand dollars each at the Kentucky Derby. So it goes to charity or something. Well, but, what's different about um, it? They are served in gold plated cups. Okay. You're given a silver straw All and right. they are made from Woodford Reserve bourbon, mint imported from Ireland, oh, spring water ice cubes oh, from the on. Bavarian Alps. Ugh. And sugar from Australia. Rich people have too much money. <laughs> they just have too much money. We will make you one of these drinks for and also, $500. Woodford Reserve, I've seen in liquor stores with my poor eyes. So it's definitely <laughs> something that they sell to the commons like us. This must be like, you know, that like they're premium for 100 years yeah. in a barrel. Whatever. It's not even that yeah. good. Uh, true or false statements on whiskey. Uh, first one, some scotch distilleries use peat fires to dry the malted barley, giving scotch whiskey a distinctive smoky flavor. I'm going to go with true. That is true. Yep. Uh, the peatiness, that's an actual word that yep. they use in in the whiskey world. The peatiness is the degree of peat flavor. Uh, it's calculated in um, parts per million of phenol so normal highland whiskeys have a peat level of up to 30 parts per million and the whiskeys from islay usually have up to 50 parts per million and then there are rare types where the whiskey can have more than a hundred parts what? per million of phenol so that's just like licking that's licking some bog water yeah. at that point so, so my fiance steve loves scotch for some insane reason and he every time he tastes but you no know, he doesn't not anymore because he drinks scotch <laughs> But especially like the super peaty stuff, it tastes like jet fuel. Ugh. And I think the last time I actually tried it like a fool, I had like an eighth of a teaspoon and I had to like, I had to slap my own face and like take a, <laughs> like a walk around the house because it was just too much. It just goes straight into your sinuses and like infects your brain. It's awful. Ugh. But people like it, I guess. I guess. That's why they've been making it for hundreds, so. of hundreds of years. Still drinking it. Uh, the second true false statement. Bourbon whiskey, also called bourbon, is a distilled spirit made primarily from corn. I'm going to go with false. Oh, it's true. It is a bourbon. Oh, it damn. is made from corn. I don't know enough about liquor. Uh, an interesting fact, uh, Bourbon County in Kentucky, which is where people widely claim the spirit got its name, mm -hmm. uh, had no distilleries operating there from when Prohibition was announced in 1919 all the way until 2014. So the home of bourbon didn't make bourbon for like almost a century. 
Did they before then? Yeah. Oh, okay. They shut down in uh, 1919. So they're the ancestral home of bourbon, mm-hmm. but it's not like they've been keeping up. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's Kentucky. Fun fact. Yeah. Uh, and then last, uh, true false in America, the whiskey rebellion took place two weeks after the Boston tea party and it was aimed at King George's unfair taxation practices. Okay. I'm going to go with false on that one. It is false. Okay, great. Uh, the whiskey rebellion protests happened in 1791, mainly in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, and they were a result of the government taxing all distilled spirits in order to recoup the country's debt from the American revolution. Uh, I see. Okay. Uh, question nine, a Harvey Wallbanger is made with vodka, Galliano, and what refreshing mixer? Sour mix. Oh, it is actually orange juice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a uh, fun note is in uh, CB radio slang, a Harvey Wallbanger is the lingo for a drunk driver, uh, oh. specifically one who continually drifts across the road to one shoulder and back again. I say Wallbanger. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last question, uh, dry martini is made with six parts gin to one part. What fortified wine flavored with various botanicals? Uh, vermouth. It is vermouth. Um, sometimes people just like wash the glass out with vermouth. Mm -hmm. Um, Noel Coward said a perfect martini should be made by filling, filling a glass with gin, then waving it in the general direction of Italy. (laughs) Noel Coward. Some of that round table wit. Oh my goodness. So, uh, that is today's quiz. Thank you, Julia. I um, finished my entire glass of wine, and I I miss it terrible. <laughs> but that was not because of your uh, quiz nor your information. That was very wonderful. Thank yep. you so much. So, everyone else, how did you do with everyone's favorite Jeopardy category? Uh, we hope you learned something about wood alcohol, Carrie Nation, mint juleps, and constitutional amendments. Uh, Join us next time for another enlightening episode of Misinformation. Bye. Bye.